Today, on this third Sunday of Advent, we are celebrating what we call Gaudete Sunday. It's from the Latin, which means rejoice. It comes from the, the Mass, the introit to the Mass. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So we celebrate Gaudete Sunday. In the ancient church, in the Middle Ages, the, the Pope would hand out a pink rose um, to a, uh, a citizen in the Vatican City. And the, um, the priest, the Pope, and the other priests would often wear, um, would change their pyramids from purple to rose color or pink as an as a, as a expression of joy during the season of Lent. The church has picked that up and moved it forward into Advent, which is not, as we celebrate Advent, is not quite as old as the season of Lent. And that's how we have arrived at a rose-colored candle in our Advent wreath. It's to express this sense of, of joy that is a divine gift that is within us, but does not come, does not find its origin from within, but from without, from God. As God gives us a sense of joy to live in all seasons of life. So just as the Pope in the middle of Lent would pause long enough to say, this is all we go through, all of this preparation, all of this penitence with a sense of joy. Because we know in the end, we will receive and will experience a joy that is fulfilled. And so we, in the season of Advent, pause in the middle to express a sense of joy that we all have received from God. And a joy that not only we have received, but we are receiving and will be fulfilled when Christ comes. And so it looks a little different. And so the church invites us to pause long enough to remember what this is all about, which is the fulfillment of Christ's joy in our life and in the world. Our reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 61. This is the Old Testament reading today. Before we hear it, I want us to understand the context that this was written. Um, and was this oracle has, has, come, has come through. This is what we call the third, uh, third Isaiah. This is um, at a time when those who had been exiled during the Babylonian exile were returning. And as they returned, they had all of these images, all of these memories. You know, for, for nearly 70 years, they had been in exile, and now they were returning. Almost two generations later, they were returning to the promised land, that, that land that was flowing with milk and honey, the, the land that had, was promised, that was theirs, in this beautiful city of David. They had forgotten all that had happened. And they had these romanticized images of the city, of this land. And when they returned, they didn't find a majestic city. They didn't find a strong city that was walled. 
They didn't find this beautiful temple where God was envisioned to live with them in their midst. They found rubble. They found ruins. They found ashes. They found the walls were destroyed and were tumbled one stone on top of another. They found the the city blocks were completely destroyed and burned out and their temple was in ruins and was in heap. And when they arrived, they began to weep. They looked across this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, and it was barren. And it was just in ruins. All of their images were not as they had been promised. All of their memories were where they had been betrayed. And so as the people arrived, um, Isaiah, this prophet, appears in their midst and offers them a word of promise, a word of hope, a word of of joy, dare we say. Hear now a reading from Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. To give them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord to display his glory. Imagine walking to what was once a wall to find your city in ruins, to find everything that you held to be true is now rubble and in ashes. And to hear these words, the prophet standing in the midst of rubble, in the midst of heaps of garbage and ashes, to say, I have come to bring good news in this season. He goes on to say in verse 9, that their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And may God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Sometimes we don't get what we want. 
Sometimes what we want is what, not what we need. Sometimes life throws us curveballs, and sometimes we just find life is very difficult. It's hard. But Isaiah arrives on this scene in a season of questions, a season of fear, a season of loss, and reminds the people of God that not all is lost. But God is going to do something different, something amazing, something miraculous, and is going to raise up this beautiful garden in the midst of this barren land. Is going to build a majestic place on top of these ruins. And when the world looks around and sees this doing of God, all they will be able to say, all that the world will be able to say is that surely this people has been blessed by God. Because this people will reflect the glory of God. They will declare the majesty of God by just being, by just habitating in this land, in this place. by being able to rejoice in all the seasons of life. You know, I have spoken of my grandfather often as he was an important person in my life, and I only knew him in the latter years, latter decades of his life. But as I think about him and his journey through this life, I, I want to share with you a little bit, a synopsis, a journey, if you will, of this old man's life. He lived, he lived it to the fullest. He smiled and winked at life's fullest moments and even at its folly. He joked and he laughed a lot. As a schoolboy, he and the older boys decided to prank their teacher the teacher of their one-room schoolhouse. The teacher was an older man. He was a stern taskmaster. He was a feared disciplinarian, feared for his walking cane that he used as an instrument of instrument, an instrument of discipline and instruction. He needed the cane because of some injury or some condition. The boys knew neither or cared why. They only knew the pain that it caused. And so they studied. They studied the man's walk, his gait. They studied where that cane landed on the steps as it went up to the church, to the school door. They watched. And every day that cane landed on the same part of each step. And so to get even and prank the old schoolmaster, they sawed through one of the steps, just where that cane always landed. And so early one morning when the stern taskmaster of a teacher showed up and began his way up those steps, his cane landed on that spot. And the step gave way. And the old teacher went tumbling down the steps. 
My grandfather told me that story and he laughed. He laughed with a sense of comedy, but also with a sense of regret. Life wasn't always easy for this old man. As he grew older, he learned to appreciate the goodness of God's creation. He enjoyed being in the woods, whether it was preparing hunting plots, repairing old stands, picking berries, riding along two rut roads, or just walking along the edge of a river. He really and truly enjoyed the simple pleasures of life. Like I said, life wasn't always easy. It wasn't always pleasant. He lived and struggled through the Great Depression. He worked long and hard days cutting timber and fishing and building a life for himself. In time, he married and raised a family. And this part of his life, this season of his life was important to him, though he didn't always know how to show it. He adored his wife and really appreciated her company and especially her cooking. He doted on his daughters and raised up his son to be strong and independent. He cherished his grandchildren. He enjoyed to see them smile and laugh, and he enjoyed life as he always had. Through the many struggles of his life, some circumstantial and others were self-inflicted. But he lived it to the best he could, and eventually lived it to a point where he could rest. He could enjoy hunting seasons for deer and for turkey, and he could hone his skills in the woods and river swamps to a point that he was proficient and was comfortable with a gobbler's beard or just an empty day spent leaning against a tree, watching and listening to creation moving about. I saw him enjoy much of these things. I certainly benefited from his grace and generosity. I watched him care for his family, the love of his wife in the latter years of their five and six and seven decades of marriage. In those latter years, he would slow down. He no longer spent much time wandering down country lanes or tending to hunting plots. No longer did he spend the day in the woods calling up long-bearded gobblers. No, in these latter years, he... His time was spent piddling, piddling around the yard and the shop. Many hours were spent on the front porch, rocking in gray-painted chairs, remembering of days past and enjoying the taste of his pipe. When he wasn't piddling, he was inside, sitting beside his wife, reading the newspaper, watching the nightly news, or whatever show happened to be on TV that evening. The two recliners sat side by side and were reminders for me that they had spent so many years side by side. But now his energy waned, and her poor mind was being robbed of its memories every day. But he sat by her side and found joy in this strange season of life. It was in a year or two before his passing that he would often be overheard saying, this is the part of life I don't like. That was, has always struck me because he always seemed to understand that everything in life has a season. Life is comprised of seasons, birth, adolescence, adulthood, working, family, parenting, family extending and grandparenting, retirement and life after work and then the approaching end of life. These are all seasons. 
for the old man. Even death was just another season. Sitting in his chair beside his wife, unwrapping a small package, she leaned over and asked him, what have you got? And with a sly twinkle in his eye, he replied, it's good. And she asked, what is it, candy? His reply again came, oh, it's good. At which point she could no longer stand it and reached out her hand for a piece of candy. And with a short demand, she said, I want some. He said, well, here you go. And she was too, all, all too eager to receive the goodness. He gave her just a little pinch of the good stuff. And she put her hand to mouth. And she looked surprised and faint when she realized it was tobacco. And with a short ha and a raspy laugh and a twinkle in his eye, the old man still had joy. Joy was not in the moment of laughter, not in the prank, not in the joke. It was in his posture in life. That in every season of life, he had hope. And he could move forward. And he could smile and with a twinkle in his eye, look past the rubble, past the ruin, past the heaps of ashes, and see a future. And that is what we celebrate today. It's joy. That divine gift that sits within us and allows us to embrace each day of each season. And so today, on Gaudete Sunday, let us pause long enough to remember what this season is all about, the joy found in Jesus Christ, the fullness of life found in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.